together to remember one cross, one man, one empty tomb, and a world that was changed forever. And so that is where, as Christ disciples, we are going to go this morning. We're going to go to the empty tomb. Well, a story is told about a dad and his son. One sleepy Sunday afternoon when the dad and the son were driving along, a five-year-old son, as they drove past the cemetery uh, together, noticing a large pile of dirt beside a newly excavated grave, he pointed out and said, Look, Dad, one got out. (laughs) Said, I laugh, but now every time I pass by a graveyard, I'm reminded of the one who got out. Well, folks, the gloom of Good Friday, the deafening silence of Saturday has been replaced with the joy of the resurrection on Sunday because our Jesus is alive. We're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 24 this morning. This uh, chapter breaks down real easily into four parts. The resurrection of Christ and the visits to the tomb and Uh, verses 1 through 12. Jesus' encounter with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in verses 13 through 35. Jesus' appearance to the disciples in the upper room, uh, starting in verse 26, 36. And the ascension of Christ there at verse 50 50 and following. This morning I'd like to focus on three messages that these events teach us. I want to look at the meaning behind the facts of the story. I want us to experience anew and afresh the power of the resurrection of Christ. So please turn in your Bibles there to Luke um, chapter 24 and follow along as I read verses 1 through 12. It says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to eleven and the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Lord, now in this hour, help us to marvel at what had happened. Help us to grapple with the realities of the resurrection, and may it swell within us a response of faith and hope and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we experience the power of the resurrection by understanding it's an earth-shattering historical event. The women who visited the tomb were surprised. The disciples were astonished. Even though Jesus had predicted his own resurrection, 
No one believed it would happen. The disciples even labeled the talk of the resurrection as nonsense, as an idle tale as described in our passage this morning. You see, the the resurrection was a complete surprise. Now, Jesus had clearly told them on several occasions that he would be crucified and he would rise again three days later. It's not that the disciples didn't know it. It's that the disciples didn't believe it. How could it be? I mean, nothing like that in all of history has ever happened. No one has ever come back from the dead from their own power. Sure, not that long ago, you know, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Even after he'd been dead for four days. They had seen that miracle with their own eyes. But who now is going to raise Jesus from the dead? You see, there's nobody. With, with Jesus dead, there is no hope. There is no future. All there's left is confusion and fear and heartache. The women who had accompanied Jesus and the disciples go early on Sunday morning, the third day, to take the spices to the tomb. The first eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Christ were the women who traveled with Jesus, supporting him and the disciples. They brought spices to the tomb, just like people today, just like we would bring flowers as a sign of love and respect. They had planned to enter the tomb and do a simple application of these fragrant spices to the body. In the Gospel of Mark, it records that as they were on their way, they discussed who was going to move this large stone for them. But they need not have worried. When they arrived, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And Matthew records how that stone was rolled away. That there was an earthquake and an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. The stone was rolled away not so that Jesus could get out. You see, the stone was rolled away so that we could get in. And so that we could see for ourselves that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead, just as he said he would. On the, uh, one of the very most important truths about the resurrection, and really about Christianity as a whole, is that it's based on observational reality. Our faith in Christ is based not just on the supernatural realities of Christ's work on the cross, but it's based on observational, verifiable demonstrable reality of actual events. The resurrection of Jesus was was not just an earth-shattering spiritual event that proves the deity of Christ and his atoning death, but it's an earth-shattering historical event. While a skeptic may say, well, there are other proposed explanations for the empty tomb of Christ. One is that Jesus was only unconscious and was later revived. But we see clear evidence that Jesus had truly died. A Roman soldier told Pilate that Jesus was dead. The Roman soldier did not break Jesus' leg on the cross because he had already died. And another Roman soldier pierced his side with a spear to confirm his death. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, two Pharisees, wrapped Jesus' body and placed him in the tomb. Scholars who would deny so much of the Bible, even proclaimed atheist scholars, except the fact that Jesus was executed on the cross. There is so much evidence, even outside the Bible, that proves that this is true. The fact that Jesus died is one of the great evidences of the truth of the Bible's story. Well, maybe the women just made a mistake and they went to the wrong tomb. 
But Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, and, and the disciples, they saw where Jesus was placed in the tomb. On that Sunday morning, they went to the tomb where they saw Jesus placed. And Peter and John went to that same tomb as well. They specifically knew the tomb where Jesus had been laid. Well, perhaps some thieves had stole the body, but the tomb was sealed and guarded by Roman soldiers and nobody messed with the Roman soldiers. Well, perhaps the religious leaders stole the body in cahoots with the Roman government. If the religious leaders had taken Jesus' body, they would have produced it to stop the rumors of the resurrection, but that never happened. And of course, the big cover-up, the grand cover-up story of them all was that the disciples themselves had stolen Jesus' body. Matthew 28 records how the Jewish leaders and the Roman guards came up with that story. Please note here in our story that the Jewish religious leaders don't ever deny that the tomb is empty. It is taken as a fact by the very people who did not want the tomb to be empty that it was empty. The actions of the disciples contradict such a cover story. First of all, they're cowering in fear. They're running from the Romans. They're afraid the same thing's going to happen to them that happened to Jesus. They would never have gone against the Roman guards guarding the tomb. Then when they do meet the risen Lord, the disciples were ready to sacrifice it all to die for their faith. Stealing Jesus' body would have given them no courage to face such uh, animosity. Nobody dies for such a lie. But in Acts 12, James, one of these disciples, just a few short years after the empty tomb, is martyred for his faith. Knowing that Jesus was alive inspired the apostles to withstand all kinds of hardship, beatings, and even death to tell others about him. We could go on and on about other evidences that point to the fact of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 Three through eight detail for us the eyewitness evidence. It says, For I delivered to you of what was first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then and then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, Paul said he appeared to me also. Well over 500 witnesses could attest to seeing Jesus with their very own eyes. The verifiable eyewitness testimony is overwhelming. Let's look at one more event that proves the proof of the resurrection. And that happens exactly 50 days after the death of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, on that day of Pentecost, with the memory of Jesus still fresh on people's minds, the evidence of the empty tomb just yards away for anyone to explore, Peter says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus raised up, and all of us, we are all eyewitnesses 
being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Peter uses these words like witnesses and seeing and hearing and knowing for certain. He is appealing to evidence to this group of people that he's preaching to. Peter based his sermon on the observational, verifiable, demonstrable reality of actual events. And 3,000 people listening to Peter that day, knowing the facts, responded in faith to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You see, we experience the power of the resurrection because it was an earth-shattering historical event. It actually happened. Well, next we experience the power of the resurrection by seeing it as a key to understanding the Bible. We continue in our scripture reading in Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13. It says, on that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them and all the scriptures of things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us, stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures. 
And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who, there, who were with gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened to them on the road and how it was known to them in the breaking of bread. What a great story. Isn't that a phenomenally wonderful, great story? You know, it's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Imagine having a private Bible lesson by Jesus, about Jesus, with Jesus taking the Old Testament passage after passage after passage and teaching how it's really all about him. I totally look forward to the day when I can sit down with those two disciples in heaven and relive that moment with them and what they learned on that day. You see, folks, without the resurrection, there is no Christ. There is no salvation. It just becomes a story about this sadly misunderstood man. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and 17 put it this way. And if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But with the resurrection, there is everything. Everything is permanently and radically changed. The resurrection proves that Jesus was God and that what he said he would do, he actually did. Dying on the cross, taking our sins, taking the penalty of our sins as our substitutionary sacrifice. It was real. The the grave is the proof. It validates the life and ministry of Jesus. You see, because of the resurrection, our whole understanding of the Bible has changed. Because the resurrection proved that Jesus is the one and only prophesied Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Now imagine with me for a moment that we're walking along that road to Emmaus. And we join those two disciples and Jesus. And Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Perhaps Jesus started with Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. What's called the Proto-Evangelium, the first telling of the gospel. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Perhaps he explained to them that the Messiah was that promised offspring. That though Satan wielded his best at him, he soundly defeated Satan, crushing his head. Then maybe he went on into Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 15 and chapter 17, reminding them of God's calling to Abraham, their father, the founder of the people of Israel, that through the seed of Abraham, all the world would be blessed. Perhaps he walked them through Leviticus and Numbers, explaining to them the whole sacrificial system was put in place as a picture of the suffering and death that is required for the remission of sins. That the Messiah would suffer and die, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. Perhaps he went to Psalm 22 and and just reminded them of these words as he started quoting to them, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted Within my breast, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. 
They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my, for my clothing. Perhaps then he reminded them of the very first words of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Perhaps then he took this extended time and Isaiah the prophet and he taught them the difference between the first advent of Christ, the coming and suffering to, to die for sins, and the second advent of Christ, the coming to reign and rule and power. Perhaps he just quoted for them Psalm 53 and just let the power of those words hang in the air as they start to realize, as they start to put together, as the Holy Spirit starts to illumine their minds and hearts that the Bible really does teach all about the Messiah, that he was supposed to die for sin. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him night. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Yet he was oppressed and was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. Can you imagine the hearts of those two disciples were just about ready to leap out of their bodies as they started putting together all this Old Testament, all this stuff that they had studied and learned for years and years and years was really talking about Jesus. In Luke 24, uh, uh, 21, they said that they had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. They had hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. And now they're starting to figure out that that is exactly what has happened. Perhaps then Jesus took them to Jeremiah 31 and reminded them of a new covenant covenant that God would establish. Perhaps he went through all the passages, predicting his birth, predicting the forerunner in John the Baptist, predicting his teaching and his miracles, predicting his triumphal entry and the, the ones that, uh, that a friend would betray him and be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Perhaps he ended his teaching with Psalm 1610, telling them that the Messiah will be raised again, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let the Holy One see corruption. They wanted to hear more. Wouldn't you want to hear more? Man, they insisted. This amazing stranger must come with them. And then at dinner, Jesus reveals himself to them. The breaking of the bread is a scene reminiscent of the Last Summer and then Supper. And Luke says, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us? When we were walking with us along the road, while he opened up to us the scripture, and they arose that very same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They left as quick as they could, probably running as much as they could to get back to Jerusalem to tell the apostles, to tell all the gathered disciples what had happened to them. Can you just imagine they bust into the room 
They can hardly contain themselves. Jesus is alive, they yell. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus had to die, just like he told us, guys. It's all throughout the Bible. That's exactly what had to happen is exactly what happened. We're wrong. There is hope. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is alive. What excitement must have filled that room. Could it be they're all looking around each other? Could it be? Could they be telling the truth? John Calvin wrote a preference, a preface to the French translation of the New Testament in 1535. This was John Calvin's introduction. He said, He, Christ, is Isaac, the beloved Son of God, who was offered as a sacrifice, but nevertheless did not succumb to the power of death. He's the good and compassionate brother Joseph, who in his glory was not ashamed to acknowledge his brothers, however lowly and abject their condition. He is the great sacrifice and bishop Melchizedek, who was offered an eternal sacrifice once for all. Jesus is a sovereign lawgiver Moses, writing the law of the tablets on our hearts by his spirit. He's the faithful captain and guide of Joshua to lead us to our promised land. <coughs> He's the victorious and noble King David, bringing by his hand all rebellious powers to subjection. Jesus is the magnificent and triumphant King Solomon, governing his, his kingdom and wisdom and peace and prosperity. He is the strong and powerful Samson, who by his death has overwhelmed all of his enemies. This is what we should in sort seek in the whole scripture, truly to know Jesus Christ and the infinite riches that are comprised in him and offered to us by him from God the Father. If one were to sift thoroughly through the law and the prophets, he would not find a single word which would not draw us and bring us to him. Therefore, rightly does St. Paul say in another passage that he would know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Folks, may it be the heartbeat of our lives that Jesus is alive. That we may know him. Know him. It's all about him. From cover to cover. From moment to moment. Next, we experience the power of the resurrection by realizing it's a powerful message of hope to our world. Turn to your Bibles with me again to Luke chapter 24. We'll read about Jesus' appearance. Now, verse 36, as they're talking about these things, as these men from uh, Emmaus have now come back and they're talking and they're discussing and there's this, there's this air, there's this vibe in the room about could Jesus be alive? Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written 
that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted for them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. As the buzz and excitement swirls around that room, as their thoughts are racing, wondering, could it be, could it be, could Jesus be alive? He shows up in their midst. You know, he doesn't knock on the door and introduce himself. He miraculously shows up standing right among them and says, peace to you. Now, they have no life context or understanding to put this experience into at all. So they think they're seeing a spirit or a ghost. You see, what happened at Jesus' resurrection had never happened in history before or since. Jesus, in John 17, says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it back up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. See, Jesus willingly laid down his life of his own accord. And Jesus, with power and with authority, raised himself again. Folks, that has never happened before or since. See, when people were raised from the dead before, they were just kind of rehumanized. You know, they came back and they were 100% human bodies. They would eventually die again. Lazarus came forth from that tomb. But guess what? Some years later, he went right back into a tomb. See, that's not true of Jesus. He had the resurrected, glorified body. He was alive, never to die again. His resurrection had conquered death. He could appear and disappear. He could cloak his looks, and yet he could be touched and he could eat. He wasn't a ghost. His body was this new, glorified, complete body, both something that could be touched and hugged and something that could suddenly appear in their midst. Their disbelief is totally understandable. Each one of us would have responded the same way. But guess what? Their disbelief melted away in joy and knowledge as they acknowledged Jesus standing before them. It all started to fit together for them. All the scriptures, all the Old Testament came alive to them now. Truly understanding for the very first time God's plan for a spiritual kingdom through the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the Messiah. Then a physical kingdom on earth through the second coming. You see, the resurrection is our hope. The resurrection is the hope for the whole world. Seeing and touching the resurrected Christ changed everything for the disciples. This ragtag group of followers that were just running and hiding and cowering in fear would soon become the boldest, bravest followers of Christ, turning the world literally upside down, putting their faith into action. It seems like throughout the resurrection stories of Jesus, once you see him, 
Once you experience the resurrected Christ, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to go run and tell somebody about it. You see, experiencing the resurrected Christ gave them a message of hope, a message of surety, a message of salvation that they wanted everyone to know. Well, the same is true for us today. When we experience the resurrected Christ, when we come to understand the sacrifice of his death for our salvation and the power of his resurrection and his victory securing our salvation, we have a message of hope, a message of surety, a message of salvation that we want everyone to know. There is no religion. There is no faith. There is no philosophy. No one has ever offered the world this kind of hope. There's no more powerful message possible than our Jesus, who died for our sins, who is alive in victory to give us eternal life. So often in our lives, we mourn the the losses of our lives, the setbacks, the heartaches, the sufferings. They're real, but they're temporary. One of the great hopes that the resurrection gives us is that through the resurrection, you're not going to miss anything. You see, with Christ, we gain everything. Paul expresses this heart in Philippians chapter 3 where he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead, that I may know him. That I may know him. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Oh, beloved, the resurrection is our source of hope. It's our source of power. And it is the only message of hope and life that we have to give to the world around us. Well, the Good Friday service in Dampara Baptist Church in Chittagong, Bangladesh, was packed. Little children sat on the floor and the aisles and across the front of the church. Rows of people stood in the back, craning their neck to see the crucifixion scene as, de- as depicted in the Jesus movie. Weeping and gasps of unbelief could be heard in the shocked, hushed crowd as Jesus was crucified. As the Bengalis watched, they were feeling the agony of Jesus' pain and the disappointment of the disciples and then as powerful, emotional moment. One young boy jumps up in the crowd there in the church and cries out to the church, don't be afraid. He gets up again. I've seen this before. (laughs) A small boy's encouraging cry gave new hope to the viewers of that film. He is risen. It's the cry that gives new hope to each one of us. He is risen. He is risen indeed. If there's one word this morning that sums up our sermon of my heart to you this morning that I want you to walk away with, it's the word hope. Do you have hope? I mean, do you have 
a hope that is a surety, that's a solid rock hope. The resurrection offers you eternal hope. Do you have that? If you don't have that, then come talk to me. Come talk to your friends. Talk to the people who brought you. Ask them, what is this hope? I want the hope of the resurrection. Let's pray together. Father, just like that little boy jumping up in that crowd, we know. We know. It's been told to us. It's been, it's been preached. Now for millennia, 2,000 years, Jesus is alive. We know. But Lord, may the truth of that impact us as if the first time, as if we never ever heard it before to realize anew and afresh the reality from cover to cover what the Bible is teaching us, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, who died for our sins and who powerfully rose again in victory, proving that he is the one and only Son of God. Give us that hope and assurance this day. In Jesus' name, amen.